Welcome back to the Santorian Hawks' favorite albums. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, joining me, as always, is the Santori of Santorian Hawk. Mr. Santori, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm good. It's been a minute since we've uh, had a chance to sit down and talk some music. Uh, what's been uh, going on with you? Oh, I've been doing this, been doing that, trying to live another day and surviving. <laughs> but, How's that working out for you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty. I can't complain. Just, you know, life throws a curveballs, and all you got to do is try to swing and hit them. <laughs> so that's what I've been trying to do. That's all you can do, really. Just that's keep right. moving forward. Just, you know, try to do better today than you did yesterday. Always learn something new every day. Um, and then that, you know, you, it was a successful day. If you're breathing, if you're learning something, if you're happy and laughing, then uh, that was a successful day. That's right. Um, I know it's been a while since our last uh, episode, and uh, so much has been going on, man. I mean, like, COVID is making a resurgence. Uh, there's chaos in the Middle East, and the West is on fire. Um, I, I, I couldn't think of a more fitting time to talk about this week's uh, album. Uh, it's like one of the most nihilistic albums ever produced, uh, and also happens to be my favorite album of all time. Uh, today's episode is going to be Nine Inch Nails' masterpiece, The Downward Spiral. your relationship with this album relationship like it brought like i read you know when you told me we were going to be doing i you know went back and listened to it and i i i'm gonna say i haven't like really listened to it like i did when it first came out back in 94 but and like at that time nine inch nails for me i was a big fan of the pretty hate machine his first album i thought it was great and i actually still to my to this day think that that's my favorite trent Reznor album no offense to your downward spiral spiral but <clears throat> Um, it just brought me back to where I was in the time in 94, what I was doing then. I was, uh, was like, uh, in a relationship with this girl and I had a kid and we, uh, we were, we were together for like three years, but anyway, and then I was also in that time doing some like landscaping work in, and, you know, I just, and then the time of music was getting to the point where, you know, you already did the whole, you know, like grunge thing came out and like you had, you know ministry doing their you know stuff as long as the trend was industrial but it just seemed like music at that point was starting to go to a different direction and as you know as today being 2021 that that direction went to a bad way but in that time in 94 music at that time was still good to me and this album was too i mean there are songs on here that i really liked like I didn't like Closer because of the fact to do the fact that it got played out and it was overrated and it was always on the radio. So I got burned down that. But like I liked the March of the Pigs and um I was a big fan of Hurt and um and the Diamond Respire was a good song too. So I mean I like those because those were the you know songs besides Hurt, like Downward Spiral and like um March of Pigs. They got a little bit of airplay, March of Pigs and Hurt, but the Downward Spiral and like uh, uh, Razor and uh, I Don't Want This 
like those songs like were never airplayed and i i like those because of the fact of that but yeah it just brought back memories and it was like you know it was a good album for that you know let me you know go back and reminisce to a, a young santori right very innocent very innocent at that time but no i was good about that head memories. of hair yes no actually i think i started like lose yeah i think yeah probably that was the beginning of me shaving my head like four years prior but yes i did have hair then, but not not as much as i did like six years before then but yeah but yeah that's so i get back now my just brings back memories when we're at time where i was being young but it you know like i said he had those songs that were like you would have to listen to the album to like hear them because they never got the airplay like closer did and hurt and um march of the pigs but uh <clears throat> yeah it's it's very uh this album is very like um for me it's like very dark um mm-hmm. there was a lot going on in this album with him you could tell he was in a he was in a he was in a place um, you could eat. it was like the same thing a pretty hate machine like when i when i like ever get into like when i was like you know breaking up with my girlfriends at the time you know i would listen to that album because i could relate you know to getting cheated on and all that that's what that album pretty much remind me of and then you know but uh this this is a little darker this is a little bit darker than trend this is more like pretty much this is like an album for those who are relating to like self-destruction, you know, to going with your demons and fighting your demons and not, you're not fighting your demons. You're actually accepting your demons and letting them take over and take you to a dark, dark space. And, you know, and as an alcoholic, um, you know, this album, you know, you know, it's pretty much self-destruction, you know, you're drinking, even though, you know, you're not supposed to, but you just keep doing it because you're so used to self-destruction and you, you know, you're willing, you know, you're just, battling you're you're not really battling your demons you're just you know allowing your demons to take over and that's pretty much what this album reminds me of is this that dark inner demon that's just pretty much you know you're you're realizing that there is a demon inside you and that it's just you know leading you to this bad area and you got to make a decision are you going to go to that area or if you're going to get up and go the other way so that's that's the interpretation i got from this album my question for you, uh, and we'll get into more of the, the demons behind the making of this album here in just a second, but, uh, you know, Trent Reznor and a bunch of the people that he was helping him record, they were hardcore into drugs. They were very much addicted to drugs. And a lot of the songs, especially Hurt, which is yeah. specifically uh, a song about heroin use, right. Um you know, you weren't a heroin addict, but you were an alcoholic. Do you see and do you um, relate to this album a little bit more now, knowing that, you know, you were going through your own addiction issues and you can see and feel addiction throughout the course of this album? Um, does that give you a, a little bit more of a uh, respect for this album? Do you feel a little bit more uh, in tune with it because of your own uh, past addiction issues? Well, you know, absolutely. I, I, I respect the album because of that, because of the fact that here's a guy that's showing him his human side, you know, that he's letting everyone know that he can relate, that there's a way you can relate to a person and the words, you know, especially with the song Kurt, you know, I mean, like, 
it wasn't a heroin addiction, but basically it's like <laughs> self-destruction, you know, that's not, it doesn't, it isn't, you know, going in the direction of heroin, but you can also substitute heroin with anything that is self-destructing. Like you can relate to it. Like I was self-destructing with alcohol and, you know, I hurt myself today. Basically you're picking up a, you know, and a, a, you know, a drug or an alcohol, knowing the fact that you should not do that. And like with heroin, you know, you know, I mean, I've known heroin addicts in my life and I've, you know, seen their struggles and it's just, you know, it is a downward, downward spiral usually, you know, and, um, but same thing with alcohol for me, you know, I was going on a downward spiral. If I didn't stop, you know, I would either end up in jail or institution or dead. And those are three choices pretty much that you get from any like, like abuse of alcohol or drugs. I mean, that's, that's the dead end. I mean, you, you, we've learned this, you know, they told us this, you know, younger when we were kids, you know, like don't do drugs, don't do drugs. And, you know, you don't think about, but as soon as you, you know, get into that scene and then you start getting addicted to the scene and the drug takes over you and you don't control the drug, and yeah, pretty much your life's going into a downward spiral, but I can relate to the, to the hurt and like the self-destruction, um, with, you know, the addiction and I'm, and I, I appreciate the album because of that. And it's letting, you know, a musician is pretty much writing his lyrics of how he's feeling at that time. And, you know, 99.9 people in this world can like relate to the, to this album in some way and form. And I think that's, that's pretty good from the artist to like get to like the fan, you know, if you can, you know, relate to it and that, that, that makes it even more appreciative and more respectful. I think it's just letting us know that he's human as well. And that's cool. Totally. Uh, absolutely agree with that. And, and thank you for sharing <clears throat> and being vulnerable and, you know, sharing your, your past addiction issues that I think it, it helps other people who are listening to the show, you know, it, it helps them as well. Right. Um, so my relationship with this album, um, when Delward Sparrow came out, um, I was already a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. Uh, my sister took me to the original Lollapalooza and with Jane's Addiction and uh, I saw Snoop Dogg and fucking Nine Inch Nails was there and they were um, they were touring with Pretty Hate Machine. And I think uh, Broken was just coming out because I do remember them playing a few songs off of Broken and I was a big Night Snails fan before then because my sister was huge into industrial music. Um, she, you know, a lot of the music that I listened to is a di- direct reflection to the stuff that she was listening to. Um, so she took me to Lollapalooza. And from that point on, man, I have been a diehard Night Snails fan. I am a, uh, they're my favorite band. Downward Spiral is my favorite album and my favorite song, The Becoming, which I know you're not a big fan of. It's my favorite <laughs> song. So it's, my favorite band, my favorite song on my favorite album. Um, but like you were saying, it, it takes you back. It absolutely right. takes you back. And that's one thing that is so great about music. Um, I wrote an essay um, called Music is a, a Time Machine. Because you you can hear one chord of one song, and it doesn't even need to be a favorite song. It could just be some random song. And boom, you are right back to, I was making out with this girl in my car <laughs> I can remember what the car looked like. It was cold. And I mean, you can remember everything about it so clear. Um, and that's what this album, bringing this album back to, um, what listening to this album actually did for me is like, it brought me back to high school. Um, I was a emo goth, uh, angry teen. And a lot of the messages that they conveyed throughout uh, the recording of this album were exactly how I felt about the world and 
religion and that nothing I did matters. And like, you know, I wasn't into the, the self-destructive aspect. I was more into like literally nothing I do matters. Like nothing matters in this world. And, you know, God is dead. And, you know, so I was, it, it really mirrored a lot of the, the um, thoughts that were going around in my brain in high school. Um, and I felt as though like Trent wrote this album for me. Um, but the true appeal, I think, of this album is that although I felt like alone at the time and I found solace in this album, is that millions of other people actually felt the same way that I did and they embraced this album. And so I'm not like I'm not the only person that found a lot of connection to this album. You found it through, um, you know, your past addictive issues. Um, I found it through, you know, the, my nihilistic sense of mind back then. So um you know that's i that's why i think this album appeals to a lot of people because it's not a happy album man it is not like uh you know i yeah i we're listening to like um 2112 man that we talked about last <laughs> night you know that's a fun album that's a you know right, they're right. fucking talking about like finding weed in bangkok and they're fucking talking about <laughs> like um space and shit this song is about heroin addiction and god is dead and fucking and like it is not a happy album whatsoever but it, it's still brilliant so oh, it's very but, yeah it's very good um, it's really so we're brilliant. gonna take a uh, we're gonna take a moment to listen to my favorite song and santori's least favorite song the becoming I love the reason I love that song, dude, is just be, is the same reason that you hate it is the reason I love that song. It's that last part where it's just like, <coughs> like computers and fucking just like harsh sounds, man. I love that. I I get off on that. So uh, that's the reason I love that song. I know you don't like it. No, I mean, you know, to each his own. I mean, and I, you know, and that's the thing. There, you know, there are some songs on the album that I do appreciate, and there's some songs I don't. I just. I just, I just feel like it's just too much for going for the, the music sense. It's just too much and like noise. It's just, I don't know. I guess I, 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 you I like had to be in a mood. Yeah, I get that. And I've had ADHD issues for a really long time. And so <laughs> when I have just had that screeching, that like, you know, fast paced kind of sound, man, that actually, you know, feels good to my overworked brain here. So uh, let's get into a little bit of background of Nine Snails, and then we'll kind of get into uh, the recording of this album. Um, every Nine Snails album up until 2016 um, had the line on it, Nine Inch Nails is Trent Reznor. Um, and that he and the reason why that is is because Trent Reznor was a huge fan of Prince. And Trent Reznor like really went out of his way to make sure that he could do everything on his album. That if it came down to it, like, 
he didn't need anybody to help him produce or play any of the instruments or write the songs. He did it himself. Um, he wrote all the music, he played all the instruments, mixed and produced just about every track and on a label that he created. Uh, Nothing Records was a powerhouse in alternative music in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, Trent Reznor, uh, Nights Nails is Trent Reznor. Uh, he was born in Pennsylvania where he was interested in music at a really young age. Uh, when his parents divorced, he moved to a small town in Pennsylvania with his grandparents. Um, he dropped out of high school and went to pursue music in Cleveland, Ohio, the hotbed of music um, at the time, I suppose. Um, well, obviously, something there's some popular music coming out of Cleveland because it is the home of the Hall of Fame. But uh, right, <laughs> I wouldn't think that Cleveland, Ohio would be your first choice to make it big in music. Right. But it right. worked out. Right. Yep. Um, so he moved to Cleveland and he joined a myriad of uh, synth heavy bands that are sound a lot like Oingo Boingo and, um, you know, uh, what are those other fucking bands like Flock of Seagulls and shit? Um, right. <laughs> the Devil, one of his bands was uh, a band called the Exotic Birds. So let's uh, actually listen to a snippet of the Exotic Birds. To you. At this time, uh, <clears throat> this time in, in uh, music right now, it really defines uh, Trent's loves. It really defines his musical uh, inspirations. Um, he loved Depeche Mode. He loved like the darker side of that synth wave. He liked that new wave sound. Um, but he also loved uh, old school punk rock and he loved Joy Division. Um, so when he did, he left Exotic Birds and went to go form his own band. Uh, he kind of put those together. He saw the potential of how synth and technology can uh, alter music. But if you put that together with the, like the creative genius and the, um, the, like the lyrical stylings of like Ian Curtis from Joy Division and put them together, you can come up with something still fresh. Um, it might be a little bit darker, but it's artistic and it's uh, innovative. Um, and Trent Reznor's always been on that, uh, that cusp of, just like he's a genius and especially when it comes to like technology and his foresight and knowing how much technology will impact music. I, he was way ahead of the curve. Uh, what do you think about that? Oh yeah. No, I mean like he, uh, you know, at the time, you know, there was like industrial bands like at the time in like 89 when he came out in 89 and when I first heard of him pretty hate machine, I was listening to ministry, uh, the land of rape and honey. And that came out before. And then there was a, uh, band called 10,000 homo DJs and I believe he was part of that and and that was a uh, super nut he did they did cover black server super nut but um when he does he he him like doing it all by himself is just that you know that whole album create machine just 
he did all the instruments he did you know and he wrote the lyrics i mean it's just genius is you know that album is just genius i mean like music and everything and and it's just down yeah, like you know um that he he is like you know like being a big fan of prince i can understand because you know you you want as an artist you want to like you know challenge your craft or make it better polishing it and that's exactly what this man did he polished his craft and made it better you know he used all the instruments and they and he made great music so you got to give it to him for that absolutely so let's listen to a little bit of pretty hate machine from 1989 this is head like a hole After Pretty Hate Machine comes out, uh, it's uh, an instant success. You know, it's not like, you know, a platinum award or platinum record or anything like that, but it became very popular. And it also came out right around the same time as Nirvana. So Nirvana, the success of Nirvana actually put a, a microscope or a spotlight, I guess it would probably be a better analogy, on alternative music. And Pretty Hate Machine comes out right about that same time, and it hits real hard, real fast. Um, immediately, Trent Reznor signed to a contract with TBT Records, um, and he began touring to promote the album. Um, but quickly after the, the tour began, he started feuding with TBT, and he demanded that uh, they sever their contract with him. Uh, but when they refused, uh, Trent uh, basically had to start recording music under a, a different name under a different band name um and that's when he recorded the album broken and he did it in secret and it was only when his contract was sold to interscope records uh did he release broken and uh i i, I remember listening to broken i remember seeing wish that the fucking cool ass video on mtv when they actually played cool videos um i'm pretty sure it was like uh, either headbangers ball or uh, uh was it 120 minutes or something like that. It was the alternative. Right. The alternative you know? was 120 minutes. Yeah, it was on 120 minutes. I do remember. Yeah. So <laughs> let's listen to a little bit of Wish. I, I love that song so much. This Good one.
I definitely think Wish is uh, probably their heaviest song that they've ever done. Um, yeah, it's fucking like there's a bunch of like they'll put out some heavy songs, but like Wish is a song that you can legitimately mosh to. You know, it's oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a great definitely song. definitely throw someone around absolutely um so broken was a, a huge success and it vaulted nine snails into one of the most daring and electric and heavy acts in music um after a grueling world tour both in supporting acts uh as for like guns and roses they toured europe with guns and roses which apparently didn't go so well but of course no tour really goes well with guns and roses because they're a fucking train wreck um <laughs> they played at festivals they played in multiple um, like Lollapalooza's and you know those kind of festivals around there, and they headlined their own tour, which I did see. Uh, after Lollapalooza came, uh, my sister, who like I told you is like really, she doesn't. She my sister's not even into music all that much anymore. She didn't marry a musician, uh, but she really <laughs> got me into music and going to concerts. She took me to go see a Nine Snails, Hole, and a Marilyn Manson and the Spooky Kids. It was, wow. I mean, yeah, it was at the fucking like Ogden <sighs> Theater, something real small, but I remember right. and it was a short show too. Um, but uh, after the tour and uh, every you know, tour, he just got done doing his own headline tour. Uh, Trent Reznor was spent. Uh, he was under pressure to record another album. Um, and he decided to take all this negative energy that uh, accumulated over the course of their tour and decided to put it all into one album. Um, and that's the downward spiral. Uh, originally, he was going to record what was to be called Downward Spiral in New Orleans, but decided that he was going to move the production to the quiet hills of Beverly Hills and to the house on 10, uh, 1050 Cielo Drive, also known as the Sharon Tate House. Um, you know, tell, but Santori, why don't you tell our listeners, uh, especially some of the younger ones, what's so special about the Sharon Tate House and who is Sharon Tate? Uh, Sharon Tate was an actress um, in the 60s, and she was uh, married to a, a film film producer or director. Roman Blanky. Yes. Yes. Anyway, um, in the meantime, there was a, a cult that was in the area. And, um, they were called the, the Manson family, the Charles Manson, the children of Charles Manson. And they went to the house and pretty much murdered everyone in the house and did some, like, really – really really bogus and just just disgusting shit they uh they wrote in the after they killed the people they you know took their fingers and dipped in their blood and wrote on the walls and yeah it was just a really horrific scene from what was told about this so yeah um so he uh pretty much uh went there to record this album yeah, and the, the odd thing was that he didn't even know it was the Manson house when he bought it, but he found out pretty soon after that. Um, and then, uh, you know, out of bad taste at the time, uh, he dubbed the, the studios Le Pig after uh, one of the Manson kids put uh, pig, wrote pig on the wall in uh, Sharon Tate's blood. And a um, little, in hindsight, probably not the, the most politically correct thing to do. Um, right. But, you know, when you're a drug addicted, rock star you're gonna <laughs> yeah whatever yeah that's what you do you you get creative your creative juices start flowing yeah especially uh, when you're in a house so that's been like you know historically became a fact of a murder house yeah exactly <laughs> and then you get downward spiral yeah it's just a downward spiral man but it plays so well um right. so with the negative energy 
uh, feeling him and with the ghosts of uh, Sharon Tate and the other victims surrounding them, uh, Trent went to work on his masterpiece. And uh, let's give a little bit uh, of a listen to a Warm Place. Warm Place. Santori, I know you did a little bit of research uh, about the actual making of the album. Uh, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Well, um, while he was making this album, uh, he he uh, he had a he was working in his band. He was also working with a guy named Richard Patrick, and they were having a feud, um, you know, artistic you know differences, whatever. And Richard Patrick decided to leave during the album. And uh, form a band called Filter. And if you remember a band called Filter, they did a song, you know, um, take a picture. Um, um, and then uh, he, uh, he also got into a co he got together with a co-producer named Mark Ellis. And uh, that helped out with the production a lot. And he, he brought in um, other members from other bands. Like he had his drummer with Stephen Perkins, who, also played Virginia's Addiction. He came on to help out with the album. And Adrian Blue, um, he's a guitarist of King Crimson. If anyone's never heard of King Crimson, I totally highly recommend you do. And it's just, that's awesome. The fact that he had, you know, Adrian Blue is one of the fine guitarists out there. And, you know, and, it, and you can, you definitely, if you listen to Adrian Blue's music and his guitar, you you really can't you can't really hear him and <laughs> on its nails. But it, he is played on three songs, and it's really good. And uh, so I think that was cool. The fact that he got you know an old school guy to come in, and also the fact that on this album his inspiration is you know I don't know if you're going to be talking about this or not, but I just want to throw it out there. It was um, he was kind of being inspired by David Bowie. Low album, and he was also being inspired by you know Pink Floyd's album The Wall, and it was like pretty much different directions. Uh, with he was relating to the Roger Waters with The Wall by like isolating himself from the fans, you know, he, he didn't know how to like treat himself and like be part of that. And then the whole Low album was pretty much like um, the David Bowie album, was, which is Low, is pretty much doing like like a like feeling like looking at your inner being you know he was like so that's pretty much a mix of a mix of like how he felt with you know like with people like his artistic feeling of like you know yeah i'm an artist but you know i feel a little bit and you know i don't want you know to, the, the the fans you know he didn't know how to be he was humble with the fans he didn't know how to like take that and then of course the low album and then of course he's going through this you know huge drug addiction but yeah that's pretty much what i researched <laughs> uh, also something that was real innovative for the time is that uh he recorded all the music onto a computer uh, yes. which was pretty new and pretty rare for this time like um a lot of the, the mixing stuff would then would 
you know, be recorded on like old fashioned tape and whatnot, and then um, get maybe put into a computer. But this is the time where like all the music, all the tracks are digital for the first time. So that allowed him to um, do different effects on there, change songs around um, and just like really make it uh, something completely different, something completely original from anything else that was uh, on the air that time. Um, like you said, the album was heavily inspired by David Bowie, um, and Trent wanted the album to be a progression from the last two. So uh, he was intentionally not as fast as the other one, especially like uh, from Hurt. Um, it's definitely a, a step down from Hurt, or uh, not from Hurt, from uh, from Broken. Um, they're all the same. It's like Hurt, Broken. Right, um, right. <laughs> uh, but it was a step down in tempo and speed from Broken, uh, and that was a very intentional decision and nothing that Trent does is not intentional. He thinks it through um, to the, to the minutia and uh, it was intentionally not as fast. There were more layers in the songs and the loneliness of being a drug addict really contributed to uh, a lot of the songs, especially hurt. So uh, we've been talking about it a lot. So let's actually listen to a little bit of Trent Reznor in hurt. I hurt myself today. To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting After a grueling year and a half of recording, uh, which included rampant drug addiction, infighting, and an emotional counter with Sharon Tate's sister, um, the album was finally done. Uh, Trent moved out of the house. Uh, he moved out because um, of that encounter with Sharon Tate's sister. Um, she kind of uh, asked him, like, are you trying to exploit my sister's death? And like, uh, are you, you know, are you doing this on purpose? Like, are you, what are you trying to gain from, you know, recording this album there? Uh, instead of being a, a asshole rock star and trying to fuck off, he <laughs> took what she said to heart. And he said that he went home right after that. And that night he bawled. Um, and he, and this was kind of like the beginning of him coming out of this drug fueled haze. Um, and, um, you know, right after that, the album is finally done. It goes out um, right after they start a tour with David Bowie, which I saw. Um, and it was it's still the best fucking concert I have ever been to. The David Bowie Nine Inch Nails. Uh, they played so many. They played a bunch of songs together. I'd probably say like three or four different songs together. Um, it was just absolutely incredible. Um, I did. I, I was. Didn't you see you when saw that concert too? Or no, I did not. No, you did not no, see that. Oh shit! No, I've not seen Nine Inch Nails, and I really, unfortunately, oh. did not get to see David Bowie ever. Yeah, I, I, I regret. Bowie, I, yes, yeah, I regret yeah. that. David Bowie is, uh, <laughs> was absolutely great, and I was like sixteen or seventeen years old at the time, so I was there for Nine Inch Nails, and I didn't really know too much about David Bowie. I know he was the, the guy from Labyrinth, 
Um, my parents <laughs> didn't really listen to much David Bowie in my house, but there was this couple ahead of us. Uh, it was me and my friend Joel, who is part of the Truckee Pacific family. You know, Joel. Um, yes. Him and I went there. We went to court and testified against a guy who beat up one of our bosses at Coors Field. And then after that, we went down to McNichols Arena and uh, we were there for sound check. Like we could hear sound check coming out of the walls. Um, and then we were in there. And we were just going to leave right after Nine Snails was done. But the, the couple ahead of us, they they were like, no, man, you should stay for David Bowie. He's fucking amazing. I'm like, all right, we'll give it a few songs. And before you know it, man, it was just like, <laughs> you know, it was an hour and a half long set that he did. It was in like an hour and a half long set that uh, Nine Snails did. And, and they played a bunch of songs together. And it was like time stood still for that moment. It was still the most incredible concert I've ever been. That's to. awesome. Yeah, no, that's good. You know, good for you. You got to see that. Yeah, man. Uh, really, I am was, jealous. <laughs> I've seen Nine Snails a lot of times. Like I, I go to Nine Snails concerts. Like people go to like Dave Matthews band concerts. I am a huge Nine Snails fan. Um, but the, the greatest thing that came out of this tour with David Bowie is that David Bowie took Trent Reznor under his wing and like David Bowie's had his own issues with addiction and, and um, you know, fame and fortune and how to deal with all that shit. And so he took Trent Reznor under his wing and like helped him get on the, the path to getting clean, which, you know, he, there was like a five-year absence between when Downward Spiral came out and when The Fragile came out. And The Fragile is such a different uh album than downward spiral i mean there's there's like actual like positivity and there's like you know stuff is not as bad as we originally thought you know written all into the fragile but um so and a lot of that is influenced on david bowie i don't think trent reznor would be where he is today without david bowie's influence so a little bit about the um you know what happened after downward spiral came out uh the album was an instant success it debuted at number two on the Billboard uh, charts, which is huge. This is like the Mariah Carey era of music. This is when you still right. have Whitney Houston and you have <laughs> Elton John putting out shit. I mean, like to have Nine Inch Nails, the downward spiral with a song called, uh, with a song saying like, I want to fuck you like an animal, debuted at number two on Billboard, uh, which is pretty amazing. Um, it's since gone on to uh, become quadruple platinum. Um, Spin Magazine calls it the number 25 most influential influential albums of all time, and they ranked it number 10 as the most important albums of the last 25 years, and is on Rolling Stone's uh, greatest albums of all time at 122, which, you know, throughout the history of music, 122 is uh, a pretty damn good rating for that kind of a uh, album. Um, you can hear covers of the Downward Spiral classics from bands of every genre, um, I've heard fucking bands uh, like rap groups sampling closer. I've heard, you know, I've heard um, country bands um, doing others uh, doing kind um, of hurt. Um, there's other metal bands that are doing hurt, um, but no more, no uh, other cover of uh, a Ninth Nail song is better than Johnny Cash's Hurt. Uh, so we're listening to that a little bit, and I want to hear your reaction on that Santori so here it is Johnny Cash hurt I hurt myself today 
to see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end and So what's so great about that song in particular is that uh, Johnny Cash recorded it right before his wife died and it, you know if you watch the video of that you can just see Johnny Cash reflecting over his life and the fact that he used a song like Hurt, it fits his life so well, just like it fit Trent Reznor's life. And he made it his own. And Trent Reznor said that it was the most, uh, it was like one of the greatest honors of his life. Uh, what do you think about that song? Uh, I think that, uh, that that song was pretty much made for Johnny Cash. <laughs> Um, that's what I, I mean, I've always been a fan of cash. I, I think Johnny, Johnny's been like his own, you know, they, you know, they try to make him rockabilly, they try to make him country, try to make, he was Johnny cash. That's what he was. You know, he had his own style he was man in black and the video is, you know, well, well, you know, directed and shown and the, the song itself, you know, like you said, you know, the song was made for, you know, trans addiction, but when you look at the video of Johnny Cash, like I said, it looked like it's pretty much made for him. And you don't even think about, you know, heroin when you hear Johnny Cash's version. You just think of a man, you know, and just, you know, dealing with his struggles and his demons. And, you know, that's what you get from it. Also, I just want to point out that I had, I had uh, heard that uh, Trent Reznor said that he was very honored about it, but he also felt like that someone was like, having sex with his girlfriend at the time <laughs> and he, you know, Johnny Cash brought it out, but you know, and that, that's a compliment. That's just great. That the fact that Johnny Cash did, you know, your song, I mean, that, that's, that is an honor. That's great. That's absolute honor. Um, since uh, recording downward spiral, nine snails has put out over a dozen studio albums and remix albums. Uh, Trent Risner has also become a two-time Oscar winner for his work composing music for movies with his longtime collaborator, Atticus Ross. In fact, this last year, he was nominated for two Academy Awards for two different movies that he did music to. One was a uh, period piece called Mank about um, the making of Citizen Kane. So it was like a 1940s soundtrack. And then he won ultimately for Soul, which is about an African-American man who uh, was a jazz musician. and, And that's all he wants to do is play jazz. And so he won an Academy Award for doing this uh, movie uh, Pixar soul and doing like a, a jazzy soundtrack. And I mean, uh, he's, he's an absolutely brilliant creator. What do you think about that? Oh yeah, no, I mean, you know, like he's an artist and, you know, he's a, he's a talented musician and, you know, and 
the fact that he can take his music and and like just throw it in all different areas of you know everything is it's, it's awesome. And I think he's an he's a once in a generation type of artist, type of brilliant genius artist. And which is weird, like I will actually put somebody like a Dr. Dre up with him and him and Dr. Dre have had a very long um, collaborative working relationship over the course of the years, um, starting with the Natural Born Killers soundtrack that Trent Reznor put together. Um, They are they are geniuses on a whole other level. They they don't just, you know, make music. They see music. They are able to manipulate it. They know exactly where how it flows and where it fits um there's a lot of great musicians but i don't think any there's so few people that are on that genius level that they are right right i totally agree i totally agree with that i mean it's just you said it's just like you know they see it and they they know what goes where and then they make it happen (laughs) you gotta respect that absolutely all right, everybody. So that's the recording of the Downward Spiral. Uh, Santori, you know, is your impression of this album any different than when you that uh, now that you listen to it again? Um, did you find anything new in it? Did you uh, find a new appreciation for it? I found the appreciation appreciation for it. That's for sure. Um, I didn't know about uh, musicians coming in and doing the work and and the guitar work being done by Adrian Blue. I, I got respect for that. I didn't know that until I like researched this. And I appreciate the fact that you chose this so I could find that out. And that's yeah. how I, I, you know, just like, I did not know that until whatever. And I never really thought about it before, but yeah, it makes you appreciate more. So thank Absolutely. you for letting me do that. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to revisit my favorite album and just uh, solidify why it is my favorite album. There's so many great songs and moments on this album that, uh, uh, and it brings me right back to high school. And I you know, just uh, remembering where I was and you know, what I was doing at that time when I, it first came out. Uh, and I, I, actually, last night when I was listening to it, I was uh, taking a little bit of mushrooms. I was, uh, <laughs> and I went back and I, you know, I went on YouTube and I saw some uh, David Bowie, uh, Trent Reznor um, clips that were recorded you know, on a shitty recorder. Um, but, it was, you know, just it's fun to like revisit some of these songs on there. So um yeah that, that's what i got out of it um thank you guys all so much for listening i really appreciate it uh in a couple of weeks we're going to be talking about van halen is that still the plan santori yes it is i believe so van halen van halen too van halen too and then yes. uh, after that we'll uh, go back to my album we're going to talk about a perfect circles murder gnome uh and you know we have a bunch of albums it's just a matter of uh santori and i sitting down and getting some time to talk to each other but we have a lot of really great albums coming out. Um, I think our first season is probably going to be right about six episodes. Um, and I have some, I, I have uh, some really cool bands that I want to do after a perfect circle that uh, it would be fun. I, I definitely want to talk about joy division. I want to talk about monsters of men. Uh, what other albums are you talking about? Centauri? Uh Probably going to talk about Pink Floyd. Wish you were here. Nice. album, And nice. uh, yeah. And uh, probably a Led Zeppelin album. I haven't decided which one I'm, Thinking physical free. Nice. Uh, yeah, you can't go wrong, man. You can't go wrong. Um, no. So if you guys want to reach us, uh, you can contact us at uh, the mile high podcast at gmail.com. Um, if you uh, want to go to find us, we're on www.truckypacific.com. Um, Sam Tori, do you have anything you want to promote? 
I do a podcast on Wednesdays. Uh, it's called Santoya with now. You can catch it at uh, 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Central, and 8 o'clock Mountain. Um, it's Wednesday nights. Um, check it out. Yeah, definitely check it out. You'll uh, I'm on there quite frequently, uh, and I uh, yes. love uh, being on there. Santori has a, a great show on there, so definitely check that out. Um, make sure you tune in to uh, the Mile High podcast. We have episodes most Fridays. We've been doing a much better job of uh, doing con- a show consistently. We're off for a little bit for the summer, uh, but we're back in full force. So make sure you're checking out the Mile High podcast. And uh, of course, you know, I am an author, so please go and listen and get my books, uh, listen to them on Audible. You can check out Caldera or The Race Through Space. Uh, you can also go on Amazon and they're available there. So um, any last words, Mr. Santori? I just, everyone be good to each other. Absolutely. Be good to each other. Have a good night and thanks for listening. This has been a Truckee Pacific production. For sponsorship inquiries and comments, go to the Mile High Podcast at gmail.com.